Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke of It's Not About Food podcast. Today, we're going to talk about recovery. What does it look like? What is it? How do you know when you are? How do you know that you need to? (laughs) You know, just sort of look at it right in the face. So, so happy to have my wonderful business partner of many, many years. Carol Normandy is here today. This is the end of the year of 2020, the most terrible year ever, ever in my life. (laughs) (laughs) And... What does recovery look like? What did it look like last year? What's it going to look like this year? And where are you right this minute in this day at this time? So I'll let Carol introduce herself and tell us what she's been doing this last couple of years, I think. So go for it. Thank you, Laura Lee. It's always a pleasure to be with you and to see you. You too. Hear about all the great work you're doing. I have been doing my private practice and working with Emrita, an intensive outpatient program in Santa Fe. You know, when I think about this topic, I think about how grateful I am that I got into recovery and all the lessons that recovery taught me that I use day to day to cope with all the stresses. I'm so grateful. You know, we talk about the miracles and the gifts of this recovery process. And when you're hit with stress, as we're going through now, you really work when you've learned. So. Yeah, and uh, both of us have been through our own recovery of eating disorders. And also, both of us have worked with many people that have gone through their recovery with eating disorders. And I kind of feel, I know how sick I was, and I kind of feel in a way like if I could make it through this, Hopefully anybody else can, because I was pretty embedded in it, that's for sure. First of all, how do we decide what recovery even is? What's your thoughts about that? I think that's a really good question, because with eating disorders, it's very tricky. I mean, recovery is an ongoing process, and you and I have talked about how full recovery is absolutely possible, because you and I have both done it in our lives, and we know coming from the entrenched level of eating disorders that we're both in, that it is possible. But what is full recovery? I really like Carolyn Costin's definition of full recovery. She writes that being recovered is when the person can accept his or her natural body size and shape and no longer has a self-destructive or unnatural relationship with food or exercise. When you are recovered, food and weight take a proper perspective in your life and what you weigh is not more important than who you are. In fact, actual numbers are of little or no importance at all. When recovered, you will not compromise your health or betray your soul to look a certain way, wear a certain size, or reach a certain number on a scale. When you are recovered, you do not use eating disorder behaviors to deal with, distract from, or cope with other problems. I love that. 
I love the idea that it's when you can just see that the scale is just a another number in your life, you know, wear this size shoe. Like I never get upset if I wear a different size in a shoe, <laughs> you know? Right. I'm like, oh, that's this shoe. I wear this size in this shoe. You know, I don't have like a nervous breakdown over it. Recently, I had sinus surgery and I was in the pre-op and the nurse was sitting next to me and going over the medical record and he goes, hey, the last time you were in here, you weighed a lot less than you do right now. And I said, I was here about 20 years ago to get surgery on my hand. So yeah, probably do weigh different because that was 20 20 years ago. (laughs) Whoops. And then I said, don't say this to people. Why are you even saying that? Nothing was wrong with me then, and nothing is wrong with me now. That was to get a hand surgery, and this is to get a sinus surgery. So why are we even talking about weight? What does that have to do with anything right now? And he goes, oh, uh, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. And I said, yeah, I don't think it's that interesting. (laughs) I think that was recovery for me, because what would I have done? 30 years ago, I would have gone on a diet as soon as I got out of that surgery. I would have had a nervous breakdown that I weighed a lot more now than I did 20 years ago, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So what you're talking about is developing, having enough internal strength and awareness of who you are and developing the ability that when those messages continue to come, because they haven't changed, they They continue to come really intensely, we can catch it and say, oh, there's the eating disorder voice in the world, and I'm not going to buy it. Not only that, I'm going to set a boundary, and I'm going to stand up to it. Yeah. And that's recovery, being strong enough to not internalize what's still out there. Right. And that I didn't, even later on, start to freak out about it and think about it and obsess over it and be like, oh, what do I need to do? I just let it go. It was a number, was another number in my life. I have a number of my age and I have a number of, like I said, like which size shoe I wear. Now I have this number for my weight. Oh, well, it's okay. It's just how much I weigh. It's not, what is that button we have? How much does your self-esteem weigh? Anyway, so yeah, I love that description. And uh, I also like one of the things that we have in our book, It's Not About Food, which is if you do go back to eating disorder behaviors or different behaviors, then it's a red flag. Right. And this is the interesting thing about food, right? And and our recovery from both food and we're recovering from our self-hatred that's projected onto our body which is that you can't just cut it out of your life like alcohol and drugs. So we have to change our relationship. So there will be continual process of it arising and arising and arising. And the recovery, when you are recovered, you're at the point where you can notice it arising and see it as a red flag to be able to say, okay, what needs my attention? And go meet yourself there instead of going to use the behaviors to cope with it. And that's just a lovely freedom to have. It is. It's just using everything as fodder of no matter what it is. Why am I spending money I don't have? Or why am I mad at this person and I don't even know why? And why, you know, blah, blah, blah. Just checking in with ourselves about how we feel or what we think. So what do you think, Carol, about 
when you're working with somebody who is very ill, because you're working with people with severe eating disorders, so how do you give them hope or faith in the future that they will get a recovery when they might just be at their wit's end, obviously? Well, I like educating people about the process of recovery and the things that have to fall into place so that they can have a map. I still use their map and be on hunger. And I oftentimes pull out our teen map because <laughs> it's such a fun map. So helping people understand, okay, these are the pieces that need to fall in place. You have to understand what message you've internalized to turn into your own self-hatred and how those turn into hating your body. You have to start to come and love and appreciate your natural body size. You have to really start being aware of the emotions that are arising and how to learn to meet them and nurture yourself and take care of yourself without using any destructive behaviors. And you need to start doing this intense, present self-care around your food and your body that you may not have been taught how to do. And once you are able to start putting those all into places, then your eating disorder starts to fall away. Yeah. You don't need it. It's important for people to have stories of hope and watch the recovery process. And, you know, social media has been quite challenging because there's so many sites that encourage disordered eating and body dissatisfaction and body hatred. But there are also now more and more sites on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook that promote body love, body acceptance and recovery. And you get to have a choice which reality you want to lean towards. Yeah. And if you even know that choice, because when I go into schools and talk about that there are these other sites, people go, what are those sites? These are young teenagers. They don't even know the sites. Like when we present our PowerPoints, sometimes that's really the only time they really saw how much they Photoshop. They kind of know a little bit and they maybe have seen a couple of things, but we're showing it right in their face and talking about it as a group. So it just go to a deeper level of like, oh my God, they made that person's neck longer. There's no diet in the world that's going to do that for me. <laughs> right. There's no skinny jeans that are going to make uh, my legs longer. It's just not going to happen. So um, I love the idea of telling them that there is a pattern, like what you're saying in our book, it's not about food and our teen book, which is over it our little baby book that doesn't get as much attention as the big book does. But yeah, there's a great little path that we show. This is the path of recovery and goes all over the place. It's never linear. It'll just take you everywhere. Right. We talk about the process of recovery as being like a lotus flower. One petal might open up while the other one is completely shut down. And then another one petals up. There's so many pieces to this recovery and how you evolve in your own recovery is different for every individual. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm. When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call the bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. Rich flavor is one of your favorites. You'll want to join me on the wine road. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Welcome to Swirl, the wine show for people who know. Storygram Network. Yeah. 
and how the lotus flower is actually made in the muck of the pond in the dark doesn't look like it's going to do anything. It doesn't look like it's going to be okay at all until it reaches the top and boom, opens up. But until then, it's very murky. (laughs) Right. And when you're through, I think the worst of the recovery process, the hardest, and you can look back, you can see that all that muck, you know, where the roots of the eating disorder came from, although it was painful and hard, it was the impetus for this beautiful growth, this beautiful blossoming, this, you know, flowering. But when you're in it, it's just really hard to see that. It's very hard. I mean, we've got to be in some sort of weird lotus flower right now as a country, as a world. We're dealing with stuff that is so much bigger than us and so uncontrollable, it feels. So this is the muck that we're all in. I understand that I need to wear a mask and stay separate from people and be outside. Don't go inside and wash my hands and all these things. But really, there's no controlling it right now. People who are doing really good at it are still getting it. People who are not doing good at it at all, they don't get it. And it's not easily controlled. Right. And this is the interesting part about, I think, recovering from an eating disorder. You get much better at when life presents its challenges at meeting them because you have skills to meet them because you develop those skills during the recovery process. And you don't have to go to the sort of behaviors anymore. You just use the skills you have. But life is forever giving us challenges. This is just part of the human condition, right? And it's an opportunity for us to continue to awaken our consciousness, to continue to open our heart and grow. And that part of recovery will never end. That's right. It's sort of like Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana on SNL says, it's always something. (laughs) It's always something. So even like I had that kind of fantasy idea when I was going through my recovery of once I get through this, then I'll be happy forever. Once I get through my eating disorder and I'm at a weight I like, and I don't have to overeat anymore, and I don't undereat, and then unicorns are on the earth. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just really believe everything would be perfect, which of course it's not. It's not. There's still stuff that bugs me and bothers me that I have to recover from every day. Just maybe even let the dog wants out and the cat wants in. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So. How can we be okay with that? That Nothing is going to be perfect. I was so black and white. And I know a lot of my clients are really black and white, especially about recovery. I had to look at, there's just the acceptance, really. That's the key. And compassion and having honor and respect for our own process as we go through it. Right. And here's where I think the benefit of recovering from an eating disorder is that because you do have to change your relationship with your food, which we have to have, we can't just cut it out. We can't get a divorce from it and we can't get a divorce from our body, right? Either we have to change our relationship with it. We have to learn how to relate in a way that's healthy. And this process of learning, like you said, acceptance, allowing compassion, presence is really, really important tools to work with life as it unfolds, like now during COVID. Yeah, I think that for me, I have to really remember to tell myself, and I do this 
for my clients to, this too shall pass. We may not even like where it goes next, (laughs) but it will move. (laughs) It will change. Nothing will stay the same. It's like the Buddhists say, the only thing you can count on is it will change. Things change. Impermanence. Impermanence. I guess the suffering comes from wanting it to be the same if it's good, or even if it's not good. If you figured out how to deal with your thing, then you don't want it to be different because then you have to figure something else out. Right, right, exactly. How do you give your clients faith and hope and the idea that they're going to be okay even if they don't feel like they're going to be okay right now? Well, for me, that's sort of a two-pronged process. One is just speaking to, again, what recovery looks like and people that have recovered and other people that have been through. And this is where I think group work is really helpful because if you are in the beginning of your recovery process and really struggling and you see someone even a little bit further than you or a lot further than you, that's very helpful because that in itself is hope right in front of your face. So that's one piece. The other piece, I think, is that helping people transition to, again, not being so focused on the result, which is hard to do because, of course, you want the struggle to stop, but really being focused on the process that what you're wanting to get is changing this relationship with yourself. So even if it's hard, even if you still have these behaviors, you're more loving, you're more kind, you're more present, you're more thoughtful you're more responsive. So starting to shift from the outcome to being present with the process. Yes, exactly. Which, remember, we used to get a lot of people were upset about the P word, the process yes. word. TP, trusting the process. I don't want to hear that Trust your process. Right. I want to know what's going to happen. I want a letter. I want it signed and sealed and delivered. Yes. Right. And I can see somebody's process unfolding beautifully. I'm sitting over here and I'm watching them thinking, oh my God, that's just so great where you are, where you're going. And they're like, no, not great. (laughs) Not great at all. This is painful. I don't want to be here, you know, whatever. So we have to hold that vision for them of where they're going conditioning in our culture. It's not like in school, someone says, oh, wow, I really like how you creatively answered that question. You know, how you (laughs) drew around it while you were thinking, how you do like thinking. It's like, oh, you got an A, B, C, D, or E, or F. You know, so you're conditioned to go for the outcome, whatever the outcome is, instead of really enjoying the process. Right. And It's graded on something outside of yourself that doesn't have anything to do with your own creative process either. No, 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 no. The sky is blue. Well, not always. Sometimes it's bright pink. I don't know. It's a weird thing. So we have a platform here. Gratefully, a lot of people are listening to the podcast. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you want to say to all those people out there about recovery and how to keep the faith as they're going through it, if you will. Well, I've been working personally on keeping the faith because I've been doing a lot of side volunteer work into the climate emergency. And it's a very challenging subject right now. And it's really easy to lose the faith around it. And so 
I've been working personally on, again, finding the way that I can show up with love and presence and kindness and compassion in no matter what I do. So even if everything's falling down around us, can I be grounded in me showing up in the moment and being thoughtful and kind and present? And so as we go through this process of really challenging times right now, there are a lot of people who are experiencing intense isolation from COVID or their plans, they graduate from college or graduate from high school are completely falling apart or they're doing school in front of Zoom, which is like horrendously impossible, or they're gathering for the holidays and there's no family, or they've lost loved ones to COVID, or people have gotten sick or lost their jobs. I mean, there's so much suffering right now in response to to COVID. And worldwide, it's not just us here, way over on the other side of the world, it's everyone. I really encourage people to find refuge in finding those sweet spots where they can be grateful for, where they can show up in a loving way, where there's warmth and connection and presence and compassion. Because this is what fills our heart, and this is what opens us up, and this is what is meaningful in life and joyful in life. And you've been leading uh, meditation groups, too, which is so important to sit with ourselves and our truth and our quiet, still voice. Yeah, I've been doing that because it was really important for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's how Beyond Hunger was started. It's like, well, we want to do exactly. That. <laughs> we need this. <laughs> we, we need to recover, like what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's how it always is, isn't it? So it is very important to learn how to sit with ourselves, even in the turmoil that we're all in right now. Yes. And I feel like if you're sensitive at all, which a lot of us are, of course, even if you're not touched personally with the COVID. We know people who are, or we know it is out there. It's a lot of people that have it. So it's going to touch us somewhere. And even if it doesn't come into my like little neighborhood or like my little self awareness, I can feel it. I can feel what that feels like to be so sad and so scared and so sick. I know that we're empathetic people and we can just be so sad about those North Dakotans or those Texans or those New Yorkers that are suffering with this or right here in California. Southern California, their numbers are so high right now. Scary, really scary. Right. It was really challenging to watch people go through both a combination of COVID and the fires that were happening here in California. Yes. And I found that I had to ground myself in both reading the really hard parts about it. And then we had the political climate too, right? So there's just like this three prong crazy <laughs> stress. And then we had orange air. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So experiencing the really hard part of that. But also I had to ground my other part in looking at all the amazing things people were doing about it. I mean, there was so much showing up by people in incredibly different ways. And that was really beautiful. So holding both of those. And I've learned that from my recovery. Yeah. We have to hold them both or hold them all. Everything is got a seat at the table, if you will. Well, Kara, I'm so grateful for you to be on this uh, show today. 
This is going to be for 2021 looking forward. And I hope that everyone gets something out of this podcast and let's stick together far apart. (laughs) You know? Which is why we're on Zoom. (laughs) Right. Right. It's so Thank weird, you, Laura Lee, is. for the opportunity. It's always a delight to be with you. I have had such a wonderful journey with you on yeah. my own recovery. You helped reinforce my recovery always. So I'm mm. so grateful for you. And you, me too, to you. So take care and thank you very much. And I'll see you thank later. You. Okay. Next year. <laughs> Hopefully. Thank you for listening and be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.